When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the After 9 Podcast Studios, this, this is the award-winning After 9 with Scott and Kat. Powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Hey now. Howdy, friends. Welcome to another episode of After 9. Uh, quickly, before we get into this, for those who don't know, I am the in-game host at the Toronto Rock Games. That's the uh, Toronto Rock Pro Lacrosse Team. And they play in Hamilton at First Ontario Centre. And once a year, they do a kids' night. It's this Saturday. So they're playing the New York Riptide. It's going to be a great game. Toronto versus New York on a Saturday night in Hamilton. And on kids' night, you get a free kids' ticket with every adult ticket that you buy. Oh, that's great. TorontoRock.com if you want more info. There is a lot to get to in this episode. We're going to talk a little bit about the pressures of adulting. Because as it turns out, some of our youngest adults are having a difficult time with it. But Kat, before we get to that. Grocers are lifting the price freezes on some products amid growing consumer outrage over soaring grocery prices and increased scrutiny of the record profits that the grocery chains are making. Now, the price freeze that was implemented last fall, and I'm not convinced it was an actual price freeze to begin with, uh, it was implemented by Loblaw on their no-name products. That ended on Tuesday. Metro has the similar price freeze on a lot of their private label and national brand products that ends Sunday. Loblaw says it's facing higher supplier prices, but will continue to hold prices flat for most no-name products, but not all. Metro said recently that the causes of higher inflation continue to be outside their control and it can't predict future food inflation. In other words, the grocery stores are washing their hands of it, blaming somebody else, and they're kind of telling us to shut up because they're sick of hearing us bitch about how expensive food is. They want us to just sit back and take it. Have you been following the Loblaw Twitter feed? Yeah, that's actually one of the reasons why I didn't even take note of that, by the way, that the price freeze was ending and, and stuff like that until I saw some replies that were being retweeted by uh, Loblaw's company. Now, there's a couple of different of uh, Twitter accounts uh, from Loblaw's, but one of the ones that I'll look at right now is Loblaw's, like the main one, Loblaw's ON, Loblaw's Ontario. Um, and some of these responses are, yeah, I mean, quite defensive for sure when it comes to the prices of things, uh, including, we may be the face of food inflation. We certainly are not the cause, Food prices are higher in our stores because the manufacturers who make the products are charging more for them. Uh, a lot of other tweets that are sent are that are sent out here from them had claimed, and I'm trying to find the exact one because they had claimed that it was for every hundred dollars or more than a hundred dollars. I think they only make seven or something like that. Get out of here! I don't believe um, them. Yeah, uh, we yeah. I'll, I'll try to find the the other ones that I was looking at because there's like I said, there's a couple of different accounts, um, but. <laughs> And people are tweeting at Galen Weston, too, but obviously you're not going to get a response. No, I don't think you will either. Hey, listen, when it comes to the grocery stores, I don't know why Loblaw is getting so defensive. I get they don't like negative publicity, and I get that they want Galen Weston to continue being the golden boy and all that sort of stuff. But let's talk about how we got here. Loblaw, big, huge company, right? And the owner is a multi, multi-millionaire, maybe even a billionaire. I don't know. 
Yeah, it's insane. It's insanity. Took a lot of tax money. Took a lot of them. Why did we replace their freezers for them? I mean, that was one of them. There was the bread fix, bread price fixing scandal from a few years ago. We all remember that. And now we can see it plain as day. These prices have shot through the roof and we've all got to eat. Inflation is has come down a little bit in some areas, but it sure as shit hasn't mm. at the grocery store. No. And for Loblaw to turn around and claim, oh, poor us, we're here like the, the saviors just trying to do our best to stay in business is complete bullshit. They're making record profits, record profits. I don't know why they're being so defensive. Maybe they should just lower their prices if they don't like the negative publicity. Well, what still isn't really being answered is how, I mean, you can compare literally apples to apples, but let's just use raspberries as an example. Literally the exact same pint of raspberries at their store is like two, three times the price sometimes. Well, other stores have it way less. So that's what I don't get. And they're not, they don't seem to be answering that. They're just claiming like, the oh, it's, it's on them. It's not, it has nothing to do with us. So you're telling me that like a Food Basics is, or, or whoever's having a sale is, is taking a hit and literally paying money to put those out there? I, I truly doubt that. So answer those questions, you know? Be fair, be clear, be, be transparent. Because obviously this is catching on. There's a lot of tweets if you want to look back. Transparent is such a great way to put it. Loblaw, when they report their numbers, just report the overall profit. And, and they say, well, yeah, don't worry. Our, our profit comes from more than just groceries. I mean, shit, we've got pharmacies and we've got shoppers drug mart and, you know, all of the money is right there in the profit, but it doesn't all come from groceries. Then why don't they break it down? Why don't they tell us, hey, here's how much we made in groceries last year and this year, the year before that, the year before that. I'd kind of like to know. Until then, it seems like this is collusion in a way. And, And I'm not accusing them of collusion. I'm just saying that it feels that way. And here's a prime example. For a while there, they were charging six bucks for a head of broccoli. Six dollars for a head of broccoli. I went to Farm Boy yesterday and it was a dollar ninety nine. It's how, insane. How I is know. that possible? That's what I mean. Like, there's no trans, but there's no clarity. I wish, I wish all of them would have to kind of say, "This is how much we're buying it for from the these producers. This is from an Ontario farm. This is the cost for us. This is the price that it is for you. Um, this is how much money that we need to make off of it to make it worthwhile for us. Like, show us that. You know, I, I, I we've said that though. We've said that a million times. That's not. I don't know if it's ever going to change or ever become a thing, but it certainly should. Speaking of prices that have gone completely out of control, I think everyone will agree concert tickets are just outrageous and completely unattainable, too. What happens when a show goes on sale? Bam! Sold out in two minutes. You can't even get on the site. It'll crash. We saw it with Taylor Swift. There were congressional hearings for Ticketmaster over how they handled the Taylor Swift shit. So they think they've got a solution if they're interested in having a solution. Now you've got to register as a fan to be able to buy tickets. And they say this will help keep the bots out of the the marketplace. I'm not so sure that it will. But you went through and you've now registered as a Beyonce fan. What is it? The Bayhive? Is that what they call it? it, Well, it's just a verified fan. One of them says Bayhive uh, ticket, something like that. And the other one was just a whatever, a different list. There's a couple of different lists. I just clicked on one of them. I actually ended up on two lists because I thought, wait, I can do that one and that one maybe and see what happens. And they did allow me to be on it. Um, yeah, basically it's their way to make sure that this goes smoothly. I should say, make, I shouldn't say make sure. This is their way that they hope it's going to go smoothly. John Mayer tickets came um, up for sale recently too. And apparently that was just a mess too. Uh, people were kicked off queue, gong show. So basically what happens now with Beyonce is, so now I'm a verified fan, which you have until midnight tonight to do. 
now that I'm a verified fan and I already gave my information, they have it, they know it's me, I'm going to get an email to let me know when I can purchase tickets and what line I'm basically in. So there's smaller amounts of people in each line for each concert. So you let them know in advance. I said, Toronto, July 8th, Rogers Center. That's the one I want. So I click that and they said, great, you're going to get an email. I don't know when I'm going to get an email. I don't know if it's the day of or what time, because usually it's like Friday, 10 a.m., tickets on sale or whatever day. That's not the case here. So I am just waiting to find out and hopefully I get an email about it at some point and then I'll know if I'm in queue. By the way, you, there's also a chance that even go, though you go through this process, you're still on a wait list. Is anybody interested in opening up their own ticket selling type place like Ticketmaster being competition for Ticketmaster? I don't know because they do seem to have a monopoly on ticket sales. When it comes to these concerts and, and the shows, as we know, they, they go on sale and the prices have gone up like crazy. I don't know if that's inflation or the artists are charging more money, if they're still blaming COVID for that or what the deal is. But the prices are ridiculous. And the way I see it, so I buy tickets from Ticketmaster and let's say they've got a face value of 100 bucks. Well, by the time you add in all the service charges and fees and taxes and all that sort of stuff, you're more paying like 150 to 160 a ticket. What if I want to resell that ticket? Well, you use the Ticketmaster resale marketplace, the verified ones. You can be confident that your tickets are legit. Mm -hmm. So then somebody else is going to pay the same service charges and stuff. And the person selling is probably, I think, I would think, giving up a cut of the price. So Ticketmaster is making money like three different ways on one ticket for <laughs> those who decide to resell it. It's kind of crazy to me that nobody has stepped up and said, hold on a second here. This was not an issue back in the day. Back in the day, you either went to the actual box office. You could go and line up at Rogers Center to buy tickets for a show at Rogers Center. You could go to like Sunrise Records or uh, HMV if they were an authorized Ticketmaster reseller. And, and you could buy your tickets there in person. Or you could call the 1-800 number. We didn't have all these issues back then. How did it get so messed up now in 2023 that Congress wants to hear from them about what the fuck is going on with these tickets? I think that that's why maybe we should go back. I think we should go backwards. Go back maybe and line going, up again. Maybe going backwards is the new forward. Like, let's wait in physical lines if we really like that artist. And I know nobody has time. So let's call. Let's make phone calls. I don't know. But we need to figure something out. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Apparently, most young adults are not thriving as being adults. New survey says the majority of Gen Zers and Millennials, 63%, claim they're suffering burnout because of adult responsibilities that they now have on their plate. A large portion of these young adults say they don't even know how to carry out simple, quote unquote, adulting tasks like tying a tie or writing a check. Do you really need to know how to write a check in 2023? I don't see many people writing a check. I have. 
Really? I've written check, yeah. Okay. When people do work at my home and stuff like that, that's when I usually use checks. A thousand Gen Z and millennial adults, this was commissioned by an insurance company, found that the oldest Gen Zers are now about 26 years old and more than half are over the age of 18. Meanwhile, the oldest millennials are now in their late 30s and early 40s. And despite having plenty of years of real world experience under their belts, many young adults still say they have a lot of catching up to do. One in five from Gen Z, the younger young adults, admit they don't know how to write a check. One in three millennials don't know how to change a diaper. Younger generations are also probably working from home and enjoying the business casual look. Well, since 46% don't know how to tie a tie, that's probably good. We're probably going to stay business casual. 41% say they're unable to sew a hole in, in one of their favorite pieces of clothing. <laughs> Sorry, my voice cracked. They're una- Well, we do a lot of radio shows in a day. I mean, we do a lot shit. of talk, and I mean, come on. I eat like a jar of honey a week right now just to keep my throat good. Yeah, 41% say they don't know how to sew a hole in a piece of clothing. When it comes to driving, 63% of Gen Z and millennials say they would have no idea how to do an oil change on their car. And nearly half can't change a tire. 42% say they have no idea how to jumpstart their car if their battery ever dies. I kind of get the impression that when the insurance company put this out, they were thinking it's going to be a bit of a smear piece on the younger adults. I'm reading this here, though, thinking to myself, I don't know that they necessarily need to know how to do those things. I think it's great if you know how to change the tire on your car. But it's just as easy to phone CAA. Am I crazy? Or, or would you just phone CAA and they'll come and do it right there, wherever yeah. you are? No, I think most of those things don't, aren't really necessary. You don't need to know how to change I, your own I, oil. I don't think so. No, I, you know a person, that's great. You have a CAA membership, like you said, that's great. There's a lot of ways around it. Or maybe you know somebody that can do it. Hey, that's all well and good if you can, by the way. Nothing against it. If you want to learn it and that's a skill that you could take with you for the rest of your life, friggin' right. You do it. But for me, I'm like, yeah, I just like, it's way easier for me to just call someone and get it done. Like, that's just me. I, I wanted to know how to change my own oil. So I paid close attention when I was getting an oil change. And I thought, oh, okay, so you unscrew that. Good, you let the oil drain, all right? You put it back in, then you put more oil in the top. Okay, good. I've got this figured out. But here's the problem with changing your own oil. Number one, it's a fucking mess. Number two, you've got to go somewhere to get the oil and the stuff you need for it. Sure. Then on top of that, you got to figure out what to do with the old oil. What do you have, like a big drum of old oil sitting in your driveway? I don't think most people do. It's a pain in the ass. Some things are better just leaving it to the professionals. Whether you go to a mechanic or you drive through at Mr. Lube, I don't know that you really need to know how to do those things. Tying a tie. I assume that if they ever need to tie a tie, they'll probably do what most people do. Watch a tutorial on YouTube. That's how most people learn how to do shit these days. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this is necessarily a poor reflection on you younger adults. Think, well, that's the thing is I, don't, I think that this stresses you out even more to hear that, oh, there's a list of stuff that I should be doing. No, I don't think so. Sewing a hole, though, that's an interesting one. I think everybody should probably know how to sew a hole. If, if you're out and you're... I don't know, your shirt rips or something, you should probably know how to do it or at least put a button back on because you don't want to throw out a perfectly good shirt just because of a hole or a missing button. Well, I think this goes back to lessons that we can learn while we're in school. You know, good old home ec, but you don't need to call it that. You can do something else, just life shit. I I want a class just called life shit and it's part (laughs) finances and how to actually manage your finances because unfortunately a lot of people don't understand how to do that and it's it's not really their fault. We should at least be teaching a little bit about how life works, you know, in those ways. 
and then a little bit of, hey, practical stuff. Like this is how you can sew a hole and a couple other things that we've talked about through through the years. I seriously think this should be a course. Like every year of high school, you should take a course and there's just different things every single day that you learn. I think it would be great. But I mean, if everybody agrees about that and, and I don't think I've ever met anybody that doesn't agree, school should teach you some more practical stuff. If we're all on the same page here, why hasn't that been done? I'm glad they're they're teaching financial literacy, but there are other parts to it. When I was in school, you had a choice. You either took shop or you took home ec. Home ec, you would have learned how to sew a button or, or iron your pants or that sort of thing. Or you could take shop and learn how to make a doorstop out of wood. I think that was our major project oh, for the it? year. I had to make or a, a doorstop. And sometimes it's a birdhouse or something like that. And there's nothing wrong with the. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that either. I just mean like we could revamp home ec and what it looks like though. It doesn't need to be. Was there cooking in home ec too? Like, I don't even yeah. know. I don't even know. There was, but I was like the only guy in the class. Cause back then it was so gender stereotyped. Sure it, was. it was just sort of guys, yeah. you take shop girls, you take no. home ec. Cause you're going to be a homemaker someday. See, and that's exactly it is like, we need to. I, I'm sure it has been revamped. So I say that not knowing what it looks like now, but I think that there should just be a general life study of, of what you, the, these basic things, they are basic things that we can all learn that will be helpful in our day-to-day life. And maybe that is a little bit of basic cooking, a little bit of basic, you know, uh, sewing things up. And there's a bunch of other things that we can think of too. I'm sure that we could, that we could throw in the mix here and have that be a course every single year in high school, not just for one year, not just for one semester, every single year, all year, you're learning practical shit. I'd love it. Kat, do you think we need Service Ontario anymore? Because the government has announced big changes coming to Service Ontario, and I'm wondering why. Uh, they're going to make more appointment options available to make it easier to get a driver's license, a health card, or your other government-issued documents. Yesterday, Premier Ford said the enhanced booking system is now running at 64 of Service Ontario's busiest locations, and they're going to double that by the end of this year. They're also working on a number of Service Ontario pilot programs, including live video calls to renew your health card. I mean, okay, great. Nobody likes to wait in line, but I think that's just sort of goes with the territory when you go to Service Ontario. I don't think anybody expects a government operation to be particularly efficient. But if you've got to go and renew your license or, I don't know, we used to have to go and get stickers on our birthday, uh, renew your health card, it's not really that big a deal. The fact that you can make an appointment, I guess it's convenient, but I feel I like so. I feel like we should be moving all this stuff online. I thought that was the goal is to move this stuff online, wasn't it? Um, yes, I guess they still have to remain accessible to some people. And I totally understand that there's some things that you have to do in person, but for everything you don't, I'm all for let's absolutely let's move it online where we can. Right. We've learned a lot the last couple of years about what we can do online. (laughs) And it is pretty good that we can get a lot of stuff done. So unless there's certain specific things, I understand why they still have those places open. So here's my proposal. I think the government needs to. Uh, realize that we, the public, the taxpayers, the consumers, we don't give a shit about jurisdiction most of the time. Why can't they just create a government store? Why can't I go to one place in Ontario? Let's say it's Service Ontario. I go to one place and I can get my passport. I can get my health card. I can get my driver's license. I can do my SIN number. I can do all that stuff. I could even pay my taxes. Why isn't there just one location? Why do we have to go to different places depending on which level of government looks after it? Wouldn't it make more sense to just have 
I don't know. We'll call it the Gov or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or you can keep calling it Service Ontario. I don't know. But there should be one place where you can get all of your government services, whether it's municipal, provincial, federal. Just get it all done in one spot. Then I could see a need for online booking. But right now there's this patchwork and it's confusing for some people and certainly frustrating for the rest of us. And God knows how much it's costing us. Men's Health asked 800 women in a survey. Where's the best place for a guy to approach you if he's interested and wants to make a move? Oh, okay. This is interesting. 61% said they'd feel most comfortable being approached at a party with close friends. 65% mm. say that's where a serious relationship would likely begin. Makes sense. Total sense to me because you're in a comfortable environment with people that you know and trust, right? So that's a good safe right? It's a safe space. You're not alone. You're not being, almost feel like you're being confronted by someone if you're uneasy about it. You're around friends. Um, also, there's a good chance that whoever this person came with, um, or, or there's, he knows somebody or that, or she knows somebody that you know, right? So you have a way to kind of gauge that and be like, hey, tell me what's up with that person. Get a little bit of a backstory. Whereas if you approach someone randomly and I don't know, whatever, I always use like grocery store as an example. How do you get a background on that? Like, I don't know where this person came from or who they know, but it's good to kind of get that that sense of, hey, I can kind of reach out to this person because they they were talking to that person and get to know them a little bit better, at least from their perspective. I just feel like we don't have a lot of parties these days. Maybe Super Bowl is going to be life changing for people this year. But women say that's where they'd like to be approached is surrounded by friends and at a party. However, if they're looking for a one nighter, a hookup. Half say a bar is still the best place to go. A bar or a club is where they're most likely to engage in those amorous activities. Okay. 48% say your best opening line is your name. Walk up and introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. I feel like it should. people probably assume it should be more complex than that, but it's not. No. It's simple. It's funny how many people think they have to come up with a good line. Or a good icebreaker or something. Did it hurt when you fell from heaven? Oh, gosh. Oh, fuck off. Stop it. Stop that shit. People don't do that, do they? Maybe maybe they do. Back in the day, they used to. It was like a contest to see who could come up with the dumbest pickup line and whether or not it would work. Now, all people want to know is your name. Start a conversation. Half say you'll have a better chance if you approach a woman when she's with friends. Is that go back to the comfort thing? You feel safe when you're around your friends and then you can be a little bit more outgoing, a little more adventurous? Mm-hmm. Again, it is. It's a safe spot. And making someone feel safe and not like you're pinning them in a, into a corner or something like that is important. Even though that might not be your intention at all, some people still get a little bit nervous about it and then they're less likely maybe to want to engage with you. Is there any rules or, hey, you're with your girlfriends. Can I just walk up and tap, tap? Excuse me, miss. Hi there. I'm Scott. Can I do that? Or does there need to be something that indicates it's okay to approach? And I'll tell you the reason I'm asking. Okay. Two out of three women say you have to make eye contact first. If you haven't made eye contact, you can't just go up and approach them. Ah. Or if they're... You need to be able to read body language. And unfortunately, Scott, not a lot of people understand how to read body language, I think. So that's where some trouble might come into play. Because if you're if you're looking and you're like, oh, they're looking at me. Okay, I, I gotta I gotta look away. Then that hopefully that person picks up on like they're not interested in talking to you or they turn their back to you. All those things. But aside from that, yeah, I agree. If they're they're catching your eye, they're looking at you and they're glancing your way while they're talking to somebody else. Absolutely, that's basically an invitation to at least 
go and say hello. What do you say after? Hey, my name's whatever. Well, hey, I should ask you, actually. You met your partner at a wedding. Yes. So what was that like? Oh. Were you introduced from a friend or something? Did it start really easily or was there an icebreaker? Do you remember? Mutual friend. I saw her sitting at a table and she was sitting at a table with our mutual friend. So I texted and I uh. said, yo, what's going on over there? So he uh, he said, great girl, single, hang on, let me do my thing. And he was a ah, perfect wingman. Great. He set up an introduction. I came over. I said, hello. And and uh, she asked for a song that I didn't have. So that was a little embarrassing, but I've since acquired it. And, and from there, we just set plans to go out in the future. Now, that future date, our first date, ended up with me in the hospital because on my way, I had an anaphylactic reaction because I didn't realize I was allergic to fucking Advil. However, once I got out of the hospital, then we set up the first date, <laughs> met for coffee, and it was a slow rollout. But I think that that was probably the most comfortable way to do it. And again, she was surrounded by friends. Yeah. So she, this proves true. Right? She wouldn't have felt threatened or anything. She would have had an out, too, because you weren't together in that moment to meet each other. True. So it's an easy out if, if she would have said, uh, if she, in her mind, she's like, I'm not interested, but just said, uh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll get in touch. Give me your number. It's an easy out for her. She doesn't have to call. And that's that, right? So it's kind of, it's, it's less aggressive. It's still okay, I think, to approach someone if you feel like they're into you too and different, in, in a different scenario. But that's a good one. So we've talked about how a party where there's friends around is the best place to approach. If you're just looking for a hookup or they're interested in a hookup, bar or club is the best place. Where are the worst places? At the very bottom of the list. On the street. Just walk up to some woman randomly on the street. Hey, how you doing? I'm Scott. Would you like to go out sometime? Doesn't work. Women say they don't feel comfortable. The grocery store was second lowest. I had just heard the grocery store was a great place to pick up, isn't it? Well, things have changed at the grocery store more recently. <laughs> Everybody's you know I mean? fucking we, angry. We just, <laughs> talked, we just talked about this not long ago. We were talking about a, a similar list, but different. And, and grocery store is almost one of those places now where it's like people just want to get in, spend the money that they don't want to have to spend and get out. And uh, maybe it's a less pleasant space to be in. That said, I'm sure it still happens, though. I'm sure it does still happen. I'm sure it does. And even though this next one is dead last on the list, I'm sure it's not a total non-starter because I'm sure it could happen on public transportation. They say public transit wow. is the worst place to try and pick up. It's definitely, especially right, it's dangerous right now, okay? And the last thing someone wants to do is feel uncomfortable on top of an already sometimes uncomfortable situation, which is public transit. There's nothing really comfortable about public transit. And I mean that in the, in the nicest of way. It's great. It's very important that we have it. You get in, you, you sit in your seat. For me, when I was taking public transit a lot, when I was working downtown Toronto, it's just one of those things that I automatically did where I like shut off the world just because it was an uncomfortable space to talk to people for me. I would go in, I would sit down, I would put my headphones in or whatever I was doing, read a book and just not talk to anybody. Please don't talk to me. So that's why I think it's one of those, it's one of those things where you're just more like in your own headspace when you're on transit. You've got places to go or maybe you're coming from work, uh, going to work. For me, it's a very like head down spot. I know that sounds so antisocial, but I don't care. Like that really is it for me. I wouldn't want to talk to anybody. I, even if you were sitting right across from me or right beside me, just leave me be. Finally, we had this on our radio shows today. 
It's a list from Open Table about the most romantic restaurants in Canada for Valentine's Day. Now, it's only restaurants that are on Open Table, but I feel like they've got quite a few, so this is probably a good list. They say, if you want romance for Valentine's this year, steakhouses are popular with about 16%. I feel like that's never changed. Italian cuisine was number one on the restaurant lists. So we do have some restaurants around here, and I'm going to mention just a couple that are on the romantic list. The goal here being that someone who works at these restaurants or owns these restaurants says, oh, thanks for mentioning us on After 9. Why don't you come in and have dinner on us? (laughs) That is the sole purpose of why we are doing this. (laughs) No, I mean, here in in Waterloo Region, where we do our our morning show on 91.5 The Beat, There are a couple of different options. They say you can go to the Charcoal Steakhouse, you can go to Soleil in Waterloo, or you can go to Golf Steakhouse. I think I've been to two out of three, and they're right. Those are great locations. In Toronto, zero surprise at all, Don Alfonso is on top for T.O., that's the one that got That's the Michelin stars. And, yeah, of course. Obviously. Uh, can you even get a table there at all right now? Like, I bet you they booked up Valentine's Day the second that they were named for a Michelin star. Well, even though they're expensive. Yeah. I, uh, I have to think that it's going to be full soon if it's not already. And, and when it comes to uh, trying to get into those restaurants, they say for Valentine's Day, if you don't have your reservation by February the 8th at the latest, It's very hit and miss whether or not you're actually going to get one. But I'll mention just a couple more that made the list. Charisma in Toronto is there. So is, uh, let me see here. We'll just go Toronto for now, and then I'm going to do a couple of other areas. In Toronto, you can go to Blue Ristorante. That's Mm, just B-L-U. Lapino made the list. Very good, very good. Maison Selby. I'm going to assume that's French cuisine, but I've never actually been there. There is Trattoria Timone in Oakville. That's in the movie theater plaza. I've been there a couple of times, and I wouldn't say it's romantic, but the food is certainly good. Spencer's on the waterfront in Burlington, another popular location. I'd say, added up, there are more restaurants in Niagara and Niagara-on-the-Lake than any other part of the country. There is a certain romance about Niagara on Valentine's Day. Wouldn't you agree? Of course there is. I love going there. Actually, my very first date with my husband was there. I do find it a very romantic place. Kitchen 76 at Two Sisters Vineyard showed up very high on the list. I've been to uh, that vineyard before, but I did not go to the restaurant. I didn't either when I was there, but people who have been swear it's amazing. Uh, Lake House, Vineland, that's the one you can see from the highway, the one that you always see, but you very rarely actually pop into. That's there. If you're in King City, Locale King City is the only spot really in York Region. Okay. Remingtons of Niagara. Have you been there? I'm trying to figure out how many of these restaurants I've actually been to. I don't know if I've been to many of them. Honestly, there's a few in there that I've been to. The Sultan's Tent in Toronto, Stillwater's Plate and Pour in Paris, Ontario. There is Valley Restaurant in St. Catharines, Via Allegro. In Toronto is a great spot. Actually, I had a work meeting there once. That was a good spot. Uh, Open Table has got the entire list if you want to run it down. But again, we're down to the final few days where you should should be able to get a reservation now. If you wait any longer than that, it might not happen. 
Have yourselves a fantastic Throwback Thursday. We'll have another episode of After 9 tomorrow. Tomorrow, Dave Blizzard is going to come in, and there's a lot of things that we have to talk about leading into the weekend. Yeah, I can't wait for the Friday pod. It's always a fun time. We'll see you then. Bye. For nearly a week, crews in Australia have been searching for a radioactive capsule smaller than a penny that fell off a truck, and today they finally found it on a remote road. Yeah. Well, now it's a remote road. It used to be a city. Uh, After 21 seasons, Dr. Phil has decided to hang up his mustache. I know I'm, I'm sadder than a hound dog getting whizzed on by a fire hydrant, too. I really am. Dr. Phil released a really touching statement about his retirement. He said, catch me outside. How about that? Authorities in Texas located the two emperor tamarind monkeys that went missing from the Dallas Zoo inside the closet of an abandoned home. And they left them there because at this point, that's a more secure location than the Dallas Zoo. The After 9 Podcast is powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold, guaranteed, or he'll buy it.